0: This episode of The New Way We Work is brought to you by Verizon, the network America relies on. This is Secrets of the Most Productive People, a productivity podcast where we work smarter instead of harder and dissect exactly how to get it all done. I'm Fast Company Deputy Editor Kate Davis. On today's episode, How to Focus When It All Gets To Be Too Much at fast company we've been writing about how to beat distractions and find more focus at work for years and we've covered topics like this on the podcast before but right now all the normal advice feels a lot less practical between the stress and worry that has accompanied the pandemic and economic crisis coupled with the tumultuous presidential election staying focused can feel impossible So joining me to discuss how we can manage that stress, cope with the anxiety and hopefully regain some focus at work is Art Markman. He's a professor of psychology and marketing at the University of Texas at Austin and founding director of the program in Human Dimensions of Organization. Art is also a weekly contributor for Fast Company. He was a workshop host at our annual Innovation Festival several times and he's previously been a guest on the podcast. Art, thanks so much for coming back on the show.
1: Kate, an absolute pleasure.
0: So before we get to the solutions, I want to just kind of expand on how big this issue is. We are all dealing with the pandemic and the election that just happened and had so much stress in it and the economic crisis. Can you quantify just how much stress can impact our ability to just get our regular work done?
1: Yeah, so I think there's, there's two different ways to to approach this. And really quickly, I want to make sure everybody understands what stress is, we've all experienced it, but we need to know where it comes from, because that's going to influence how we get rid of it. So Your motivational system, that that set of brain mechanisms that engages the goals you have with the world, has two modes. It has an approach mode where you go after some beautiful, wonderful, desirable outcome, and it has an avoidance mode, which is where you try to avoid some potential threat or catastrophe. Clearly, when there are a number of catastrophes or threats that you just mentioned, like the pandemic, like the concerns that people had about the outcome of the election, when you are facing a threat, then the emotions that you experience are the emotions of stress and anxiety while you're still trying to avoid the threat, and then relief when you actually manage to avoid it. So so that when you're experiencing stress, what that tells you is, is that you have engaged this kind of avoidance motivation. There's something out there that you're trying to avoid. Now, that's the first thing to say. The second thing to say is what's going on with your brain when you are in this kind of avoidance mode? Well, one of the things that happens when you experience stress is that you become very focused on the threat itself. You can actually begin to ruminate about it, which is to chew over your thoughts that relate to what it is that you're concerned about, which can be great for trying to plan uh, how how to avoid it. Often you experience a decrease in what's called working memory capacity, which is the amount of information you can hold in mind. And so you become laser focused on a very small amount of information. And you also get energized, you know, because, because threat is something that at least in, in many situations in our evolutionary past was something that required physical energy to escape. Now, many of our threats are, are more abstract or social. And, and even when we have something like a pandemic that's a physical threat, it's not something you run away from necessarily. And so that response isn't necessarily the best one to have. But all of those things can get in the way of what we consider our work to be in the modern environment, which tends to be sitting around and passing information back and forth between people. And that can really get in the way of our productivity.
0: That makes a lot of sense when you put it that way of a way that we deal with stress is avoidance, because I think that that's kind of exactly your your instinct of like, oh, I'm I, I need I'm avoiding like and you're maybe not consciously doing it. Right. But that like I just think of, you know, when we're recording this, this is um, just after the election results of last week of the week before. And I just think of how many times I kept refreshing that election map. It wasn't doing me any good. And there was a lot of other things I needed to be doing, but it was that it was kind of that what you're talking about, that avoidance, right. Of like, that's how stress was manifesting itself.
1: And I've, I've got to pay attention mm-hmm. to it because, you know, if you think about a real threat, you know, if there was a if there was an, an a big animal outside your house, you'd want to know where it was. Heck, we even do that. If you have a spider in the house, you know, you keep an eye on it until you can you know, get rid of it. And and so when there's a threat, you want to keep paying attention to it in case it changes or moves. But this was a very slow moving threat. So you could you could refresh, you know, 12 times an hour uh, for uh, 100 hours before you actually got an outcome in some states.
0: And it's so hard, you know, when you say it that way, too, of like there's a spider in the house, like you think of it like there's if there's a critter in the room that you're in, try as you might to focus on something else. You're going to keep like turning your eyes like, where is it? Where is it? And you're doing that, I, I suppose, when when you have these other stressors like the pandemic stress the election stress the economic stress it's like you can tell your mind to focus all you want and it keeps kind of turning to this other yeah. thing right which
1: which which again makes sense when there's a when there's a legitimate physical threat in the environment but when you bring that response to bear on an economic threat what, what are you going to do you're just going to keep staring at the stock market mm-hmm. numbers which as we're always reminded is not the economy but mm-hmm. still um so so i think it's you know we we need to recognize that that in that environment in which there are uh, threats to us that that demand our attention in in a context in which they're very slow moving, we're going to have to find strategies for doing something else and preferably doing something else that's ultimately more productive than doom scrolling yes. or or any of the other non-adaptive responses many of us picked up over the last several months
0: oh for sure well you know and and that's obviously you know we want we want to focus on the solutions and you wrote recently in an article um for fast company you broke down four different ways to deal with anxiety. And one of one of those that seems especially aptly, you know, what we're what we were just talking about is that stopping the cycle of rumination. Can you explain what that means and, and how you can make that happen?
1: Yeah. So again, this idea of rumination is I'm I'm thinking through Things that are related to the, the, the potential threat out there, which sometimes is a great idea when you're really trying to plan for what should I do. So, for example, if you have some stress before a job interview and it causes you to think through all the questions that an interviewer might ask you, it's probably not a terrible thing to, to go over those at least a little bit. But in the context of the election, where there's probably nothing you can do about it, in the context of the pandemic, where there's probably nothing you can do about it, chewing over a bunch of anxiety-producing thoughts isn't going to help you very much. So in that situation, you can't just tell yourself, stop thinking about that. That's not the way the brain works. So instead, you have to refocus yourself on something else. You have to create a different thought pattern in which you are engaged with some other thing. And so one of the things you can do is to try to shift your attention to another task that is, is one that would be more enjoyable to think about or more productive to think about. So to focus your efforts and your, your motivation on, on some other thing
0: you mentioned two, like three different techniques and mm-hmm. to kind of reduce this anxiety, they were uh, decrease the energy. Um, I think you, you just mentioned kind of take some control and, and accentuate the positive. Are the, right. Those are, those are, the, you know, what you were just talking about. Is there a, a way kind of a, can you give some practical examples of how I'm thinking of, of people who are, you know, that maybe this is a personal example who are flipping to social media all the time and doing that, that doom scrolling. How do you stop yourself from doing that?
1: Yeah. So, so as I, as you point out, there are, there are these three different strategies, the first of which is to try and decrease the energy that you've got behind this. That's, that's treating the symptom, not the cause, but, but still can be effective. And that's where things like mindfulness techniques can come in. So if you've ever done any kind of controlled breathing or Uh, other kinds of meditation, where those have their impact is that they calm you down. So so the thing about deep breathing is that it it really is incompatible with building up that kind of energy. And so if if you find yourself utterly paralyzed by the, the amount of negative energy you've got, you may have to just calm yourself down first. You may actually need to treat the symptoms. And that's where closing your eyes, counting counting to four as you breathe in, counting to four as you breathe out, and doing that over and over, actually paying attention to the breaths as they go in and out. What that does is actually to calm that energy down and give you a chance to move on to the next thing now the 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 next piece of what you want to do is really to, to 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 focus on something else to to not allow the environment to control what you're doing so when you start doing things like doom scrolling what you're doing is saying must find out what happened in the election or must find out the latest numbers on on the pandemic and and what you're doing then is allowing the the threat itself to control your behavior. And so instead, you have to ask yourself, what else could I be working on at the moment? What what are some of the things that I could do that would be more productive? And so going through that little to do list. And I I always recommend when I when people make to do lists that that you that you build your to do list based on. Uh, both the priority of things that need to get done, as well as the amount of effort that would be required to actually complete some tasks. And the reason that the effort piece matters is because there are going to be days, particularly these days, when when people are so, uh, so, so just I think we all have a lack of resilience, that, that maybe the only tasks you can clear off are ones that don't require your full self. And so if you organize your to do list around here's a kind of mindless thing that needs to get done for work, but it needs to get finished, then then you can say, well, all right, I'm not really in a mode right now where I'm going to do my best work. I probably shouldn't be writing the next great novel right now, but but maybe I can organize some of my files or do some proofreading or something that doesn't necessarily require your best work self. And so, and so what that does is to at least get you focused on something else, which is better than, than just decreasing the energy. But the ideal thing you can do is to, to actually try to focus that motivational system on approach rather than avoidance. So can you find some beautiful, wonderful, or desirable thing that you can engage with in order to shift yourself out of that axis of stress and relief and towards an axis, axis of joy and satisfaction, which is what you get when you complete some kind of approach goal. So can you find something at work that is that you would be excited to complete maybe it's having a conversation with a colleague that you've always enjoyed talking to maybe it is working on a project that you've been saving but you know could have a really positive outcome really trying to do something and and frankly you know worst comes to worst it might be engaging in an activity at home that that you find joyful uh, you know it could be a hobby or or you know if you have young kids uh, you know find them just after they got up from a nap and uh and you don't know, play with them for a while but but get yourself into that mode of engaging in some joyous thing which actually is actually incompatible with stress and and so that's that's sort of the way of trying to get at the cause rather than just the symptoms
0: yeah those are great suggestions i especially like the idea of finding tasks that take about as much effort as doom scrolling does and yeah. i feel like i could make a to-do list that's just like the the heading is these are things that take as much time as dooms like do these instead you know like oh researching a virtual holiday party sending a slack message sending in this email doing these like kind of mindless things take just as much energy and effort and time as this unproductive thing and it will bring me better joy and actually be productive
1: yeah yeah that's right
0: so, so something that we have talked a lot about on the show and everybody has talked a lot about since march is remote work i think you know, we're, we're all on this, you know, talking together right now we're doing it. I think a lot of people listening right now are doing it and it presents a ton of challenges. It can be really hard, you know, to compartmentalize the work life and the personal life, especially if you have kids at home, especially if you have another person working in your home, whatever your living situation is and it's horrible for focus, right? How, how can someone avoid this? How can you focus when like the distractions are not only internal and worry and stress and anxiety, but actually external too?
1: Yeah. Well, one of the things that's really important, I think is to cut yourself some slack you know, I think, I think one of the things that can happen is you start worrying about how you're not being as productive as you could be, and then that worry decreases some of that working memory capacity. And now, you know, you get a distraction from the outside, and now you realize you're not being productive, and that feeds on itself in ways that, that can really get in the way of doing anything. And I think we, we just have to accept that most of us are going to be way less productive right now, and the world will still turn on its axis that's really the, you know, an important thing to do. And I think the other, you know, another thing that's really important is again, to, to keep track of what you're doing and keep track of what you're accomplishing. Because the other thing that happens is you get to the end of the day and you know, the days are running into each other because you're in the same environment all the time, seeing the same people physically all the time. You're doing many of the same activities, staring at the same screen. And, and as a result, at some point you you realize you have no idea what you've what you've accomplished. Because you know, the, the human mind uses distinctiveness to help us. Get at particular memories of things. It's why, you know, if you have a favorite vacation spot, you can call up vivid memories of that vacation spot because it's a unique place, different from other places that you've been. But if you've spent almost every day of the last six months in the same room doing more or less the same kinds of activities, trying to remember what you did today versus yesterday versus last week versus in July is almost impossible. And so you may actually feel like you're less productive than you actually are, which means actually keeping a physical to-do list and checking you know, checking things off of it so that at the end of the day or the end of the week, you can look back and say, oh, look, I actually got all of this stuff done is, is a huge help and can make you feel a little bit better about the fact that you are not doing nearly as badly as you think you are.
0: We'll be right back after a quick break. This episode of The New Way We Work is brought to you by Verizon, the network you can rely on for your phone and for your home internet. Find the plan that's right for you at verizon.com. I feel like a lot of people are feeling kind of overextended but underaccomplished. And you have this feeling where you're like, busy all day long like I don't think anybody right now is feeling like luxurious or or like that they have a lot of time but you're feeling busy all day long and exhausted at the end of the day but feeling like you didn't actually get anything done do you is that is that your best advice to to keep track of of what you you have done during the day or is there another way to kind of combat that like exhausted overextended underaccomplished feeling
1: yeah, I, th- I think that. So, so in addition to keeping track, one of the things that I recommend doing is taking advice from uh, my clinical colleagues. You know, clinical psychologists operate on the fifty-minute hour. So, you know, anyone who's ever been in therapy, you know, you know, you start on the hour, and at ten of, no matter you know, your mid sentence, they mm-hmm. say, "Yep, oh, that's it for the day," and they send you on your way. And, and you might think, well, what are they doing? Well, they, they, most therapists live the life that we're leading right now. They stay in a room and everybody else comes to them throughout the day. And so what do they do? At the, for the last 10 minutes of each hour, they take a break. And so they, they they make some notes on what they just did so that they have some some way of getting back to that and 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 having some memory of it they take a little bio break if they needed or, or stretch or stand up and walk around and then take a minute or two to prepare themselves for the next thing and that's actually a great way to feel a little bit more refreshed because that extra 10 minutes typically does not spell the difference between success and failure in any given meeting that you're in and yet most of us on zoom have gotten into this habit of meeting up until the last minute and then clicking off of one meeting and hitting the button and immediately diving into the next meeting already in progress and and that just i think that just creates a sense of overload in and, and so i think really giving yourself that ebb and flow because if you think back to those, those days months and months or years ago, mm-hmm. it feels when when you actually were occupying a physical space, you had to knock a meeting off about 10 minutes early because you often had to walk physically from one location to the next. You might even have to knock off 15 minutes early and go to a different building. And, and, and that created a very different Structure to the day, and so and so. I think we have to build that back into our schedules.
0: That's you know, the, and I've thought about that a lot. That's a great a great way to look at it. Um, I also didn't know that psychologists did that that 50 minute hour, but it makes perfect sense. But yeah, that you know, we we've talked a little bit about like reclaiming your commute time, but yeah, also reclaiming the time that it used to take you to walk between things. You know, now everything like my kitchen is five feet away from where I my desk is, so even to get up and get lunch, I don't have to go over. Far, But before I used to go out and get lunch and that would take 20 minutes and then I would eat the lunch and that would take 20 minutes and that was 40 minutes that I had. And now, you know, I should be able to fit that 40 minutes back into my day and it does make the the days feel more of your own and reclaim your time a little bit. Um, on, On the flip side of that, I think there are probably some people who bury themselves in their work to kind of avoid dealing with the stress and anxiety. What are the consequences of that, of like not feeling like you aren't getting anything done, but just like completely burying yourself in your work?
1: Well, you know, I think that there are whether whether it's a good thing or a bad thing to bury yourself in your work depends a little bit on how you feel at the end of the day. I mean, this is a this is a tough time. And, and for some people, particularly folks who live alone uh, and and may not actually have a tight-knit circle of people that they feel like they can get together with regularly, putting the, putting that energy into into work I think can be great as long as you get to the end of the of the work day and feel pretty good about it uh, then then I you know who's to say that that's the wrong thing to do but here are some warning signs. If you feel like you can't fall asleep without a chemical and you can't wake up without a chemical, then there might need to be some change that you need to make in your life. And I think if you get to the end of the week and you and you realize, gosh, I I, I don't really feel good about anything I'm doing, then I think what you're doing is trying to avoid facing some of the things that that, that are your concerns by trying to just be productive. And in that case, I think, you know, one of the things to do is to figure out how can you reclaim a bit of that social life that you had before in a in a safe way. You know, I think I think one of the things about being seven or eight months into this pandemic is we know what's safe to do and what's not. And getting together with people outside with a little bit of social distancing, wearing masks is actually a, a very safe thing for people to do and and so you know even if you're in a high risk group it's 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 you know it's really okay of course we're getting we're heading into winter for some number of people i'm in austin texas so i keep forgetting that but but finding ways to to get together with people to to have a phone call to to really stay connected and in particular i think to stay connected with A small group of people over time, because because the other thing that I think a lot of us are missing right now is is a cumulative narrative of life. So one of the things that happens normally is that there are stories that weave through your life. There are colleagues that you see and you get to you get to watch them. Navigate some interesting bit of office politics, or um, you know, there are family members who are who might you know you might have kids going to school, and so you're you're keeping track of their activities, and and so life has this narrative to it, and I think that that narrative has broken a little bit for many of us. We and that's part of what makes every day feel the same, and so by by reengaging with some people one of the things you can do is to try to figure out how you could develop an ongoing life story that has some forward momentum to it. And, and that turns out to be really important because part of what it does is to keep you focused on the future, to keep you focused on the next thing. And I think that, that you know, we always say hope springs eternal, that, that hope comes from the idea that tomorrow might be a better day than today particularly right now if what you do is focus a lot on yesterday, then uh, you know, that those yesterdays are are, are stress inducing. So giving yourself that opportunity to really think forward about the future is is actually a great way, I think, to feel a little bit better about what's going on, which may help you then to disengage from work.
0: One one thing, you know, and what you were just talking about made me think of 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 all over these months, I've tried all of these different things to, to de-stress and to to reclaim my time and to find stuff to do. And the thing that I've started doing recently is uh, as I moved and, and so my, my mother was very excited to finally give me all of my old boxes I've stored at her house for 20 years. And I found all of these letters that I had written throughout high school and college and post-college because I'm old enough that people wrote letters still then it was you know before we were we were texting everyone emailing everything and I thought oh my god it's so wonderful to have these to read through my children one day are not going to read through my old emails I'm going to start writing letters again and it's been such a great way to as you as you say kind of keep track of life keep that narrative going and it's not on a screen and it makes me slow down. And I think it's, it's yeah, it's a way to kind of stay connected in a, and it's like, it's so fun to get mail too. Yeah. I'm hoping that yeah. people, I'm hoping that I'll guilt the people I'm writing letters into to writing letters back to me. But, but yeah, that's, no, that's, that's a great, it's a great idea to, to slow down and, and, and connect in a way that's not online. Cause I think that's a, you know, another thing that we. Um, write about a lot is this zoom fatigue. And usually the advice to people, you know, to stay connected is like, have another zoom happy hour or another, what, and like, oh, yeah. no, who wants to be on zoom again. And I do it with my friends sometimes, you know, we'll have a, a zoom happy hour and it's just like another zoom meeting, you know?
1: Well, and, and it's the, the, the fundamental problem with zoom is only one person can talk at a time. Mm-hmm. The, it's the not a real of,
0: conversation. Yeah. Right. And, and the
1: beauty of happy hour is, you know, you get 12 people at happy hour and you just sit and talk to the two people next to you Mm -hmm. and so you get to have this small more intimate conversation and then you you can shift around and and talk with a few other people and zoom doesn't allow that so so on zoom the narcissists and the extroverts get to dominate the conversation
0: yeah they're like leading a workshop basically it's like everybody listen to me speak and you all be quiet yeah yeah but yeah and you know and that's a part of what i like about the letter writing too is it is that more like intimate conversation i've also had a couple of like epic phone calls with people, you know, like three hour phone conversations with people that I hadn't talked to in a long time. It's a, yeah. you know, the actual talking, but uh, you know, and we, we've been talking about this a little bit, but work life, even after the pandemic is over is likely never to be the same again. You know, for example, I'm going to be working remotely permanently. And I think a lot of people are, are probably going to be in that situation. What changes to the way that we manage our workflow, manage our stress, Do you think, would you like to, or do you think will become more commonplace as we kind of figure out this new, new normal or new next step or, or, or new future?
1: So I think one of the most important things we have to do is to recognize the influence of our physical space on a tremendous amount of our motivation and our ability to engage and disengage. And so we were all thrown into work from home and and some people never really took the time to 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 clean up their workspace after that and so they're still working in in a in a makeshift space but to the extent that work from home becomes more the norm for people i think it's going to be really important to create dedicated spaces associated with that that you can go to and leave so that you can actually leave the office. Uh, and even if your commute is eight steps, it it still matters. And, and if you don't have the physical space for it, I've been the thing I've been telling people is go out and get one of those artists portfolio bags uh, and create a, a, a workspace in that and then just zip it up at the end of the day and put it in a corner. But but to get get rid of the physical space that is the reminder of work and 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 then enter the physical space that is is your home life. I think that's going to be incredibly important. I, I think it's also going to be important for us to find ways to recreate some of the happenstance interactions that characterize being in a workplace. So, you know, I, I mean, I work at a university, and and so I, I if I have to walk from one building to the next, I frequently see colleagues, and even just waving to them is a great thing often having the chance to stop and have a two minute conversation with someone I haven't seen for a while is great. During the pandemic, we're all working from home. None of those things are happening. And we have to find ways to recreate that. I think we have to create little lists of all the people we used to bump into and just, just send them a quick note saying, hi, Just, just it's, this is just me waving at you as if we were walking by on campus. But we're gonna have to do that more often in part because those people often serve as reminders of something you're trying to accomplish, something you're trying to do or something you meant to tell somebody. Uh, I've had times where I've I've passed somebody in the hallway and then thought, "Oh, I actually need to reach back out to them to ask a question." And and it it helps to move a project forward because I because just having seen them, even if I didn't have a chance to stop them and have the conversation then, was a reminder that there was this this sort of goal in the background that i'd forgotten about and and none of that is going to happen when we're when we're working from uh, from home i also think we're going to have to do a little bit better job of creating some social time at the front end of of meetings so you know small talk is actually really valuable it helps to create that sense of trust among colleagues and if we lose that zoom meetings just start and we get right down to business and i think we actually need to have a little bit of that conversation and and i'm i'm sort of hopeful that we can find a user interface that allows you to you know just just lean over to to the person next to you in the zoom room and have a quick conversation with them before the action starts because until we find a way to recreate some of those interactions i think the, the work from home experience is still going to feel very isolating.
0: Yeah, I think, you know, as you were talking, I was thinking exactly that too, of the, of the best, the times that I have felt the most connected to my colleagues over these last months have been the times that I've had that small talk in the beginning of a, a meeting, you know, like before everybody got there or it was a, a one-on-one call and we just got off on a tangent on something. It was like, oh, we're human again. Like we're people yeah. again that used to see each other and talk to each other all the time. And, and yeah, there is that missing step though. Of of the overhearing and the side conversation that we need to figure out still.
1: And 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 partly because Zoom creates this sense that every meeting has to be consequential and has to be productive. And there's a certain number of things you do just to create and maintain relationships. I mean, I, you know, how what has what's it been six years now that I've been writing for? For you guys at fast company yeah
0: yeah I think and, uh, you and I have been working together for almost a decade now eight years or so is, is yeah that really geez, yeah.
1: Uh, yeah okay <laughs> there you go and and of course we finally met because I happened to be in New York mm-hmm. and decided to pop down to the to to the to the fast company offices mm-hmm. and and that um you know those kinds of meetings I mean it wasn't like there was a specific plan we had like mm-hmm. leaving this meeting we intend to do you action Z.
0: points and yeah yeah.
1: But, but it, it just, it solidifies a, uh, a working relationship that, that, that then pays its dividends off into the future. And so much of what happens at work has that character to it. And, and I think we're losing that. We're losing that, that um that time that we spend just making sure that we know enough people that when we actually do need to accomplish a particular thing that we feel like we have a team we could put together to do that.
0: And I think you're right of of thinking about productivity in a different way where it's not just here are the action points and we're going to meet and we're going to talk about them and we're going to figure out what they are. But it's, you know, when you talk about that relationship building and, and the tangents and the conversations ideas come out of that like you learn stuff about people you learn like maybe you'll go off on a tangent about and they'll tell you this story that then sparks something else you know later i think you know, I remember the, the one of the times that you were in the office and we you know, we talked about all sorts of different things and vegetarian restaurants and all sorts of different things. But I think we also ended up leaving that conversation with five story ideas just, right. you know, because it meandered along and things happened. And and yeah, so I think that's a great kind of place to, to, to leave this conversation at is, is thinking about productivity in a different way, thinking about stress and anxiety in a different way, thinking about how much you accomplish in a day in a different way and, and maybe not being so rigid about it. Art, thank you so much for coming back on the show. Obviously, we we have lots of great conversations and could, and could talk about this for a while. I really wanna thank you for coming back on the show.
1: Thanks, Kate, always fun to talk.
0: Art has his own psychology podcast with his co-host, Dr. Bob Duke. It's called Two Guys on Your Head and it's hosted by NPR and you can listen wherever you get your podcasts. And that's all for this episode. Be sure to subscribe to Secrets of the Most Productive People wherever you listen. And if you liked this episode, leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Also, if you have a question about work-life, productivity, or any other suggestion on what you'd like to hear more of on this show, leave us a voicemail at 833-582-FAST. That's 833-582-3278. Or you can tweet us with the hashtag FCMostProductive or send us an email at fastcompany.com. Secrets of the Most Productive People is produced by Joshua Christensen.